Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All the WrestleManias. We've got a special request, so we're jumping back in time to review WrestleMania 8 from 1992. You actually just heard the special Hard Rock Remix radio version of our theme song. A composer and co-host, uh, Rich Sigwald, has been working hard on those. So send us your thoughts and comments on our uh, theme song. As always, I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. So we got a request via our Facebook page, all the WrestleManias. You should go and like it right now and follow it and look at all of our fun stuff um, from Nick O, who asked us to review WrestleMania 8. Now, we'd previously done a write-up of that show for the blog back when we were doing the long written blog posts. But we are, of course, more than happy to have the opportunity to sort of rewatch these specials and talk about some of these matches. Well, some of these matches and, you know, put them out here for your enjoyment. So we thanks very much for the request, Nick. Uh, and thanks for listening. We had discussed possibly doing some flashbacks to some of our uh, blog entries and revisiting some of these early WrestleManias and do them as a podcast. And it made us feel good that uh, someone requested us to go back and do this. And yeah. WrestleMania eight, is particularly a great one to go back and look at. There's some amazing moments in this. And this is pretty much from the golden age of WWF, in my opinion. Oh my God, is this a good one, actually. You know, I, I started watching, I'm like, okay, I wonder what I'm going to remember about this. I'm like, holy crap, this is a, this is an amazing WrestleMania. So again, thanks yeah. very much, Nick. We uh, we spent a very happy three hours re-watching this one, thanks to your request. So before we get into the show, do we have any uh, listener mail or wrestling news to cover? Uh, I think there is some important wrestling news with uh, AEW right now is on a tear. Yeah, for sure. Announcing on live television that they've purchased Ring of Honor mm -hmm. and then also possibly negotiating a streaming deal with HBO Max. Yeah, and both of those things are a big deal, obviously. We saw what we thought maybe would be the last Ring of Honor show ever back in December uh, here in Baltimore County. It was it was a fun show, but it was also a little bittersweet because we have enjoyed the Ring of Honor shows over the years. And uh, we're sort of, you know, kind of bummed about the thought of it maybe going away. So I'm actually, I'm pretty excited about some of the possibilities uh, with Ring of Honor. You know, I think there's some opportunities to kind of give the guys who aren't quite ready for the primetime television, a chance to really work some stuff out on TV. Uh, Ring of Honor has a lot of great talent affiliated now and in the past that I think they can draw on. And, you know, if we're lucky, we'll get even some more wrestling on TV, which I'm always a fan of. Right. And there, there were some great talents still in Ring of Honor when they ended, especially them boys. Yep. Uh, we might finally get some resolution to the boys versus FTR kind of feud that's ha been happening on Twitter for the past. We better, we better year. get something and uh, just some great uh, possibilities and matches. And I look forward to a possible title unification. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Gresham's still there. Yeah, um, of course. Jay Lethal was sort of the last big one to jump over to AEW. It's just a really exciting moment, and I'm happy to see Ring of Honor possibly saved, and I hope some of their production ideas and concepts rub off into AEW and help the product get better. Yeah, for sure. The other thing, the news item that we just had to uh, mention is a Scott Hall, of course, Razor Ramon, uh, has a broken hip, uh, so we're sending him our best wishes for a speedy and full recovery. You know, he's a legend. We hope he's doing all right. Yeah, feel better, man. 
All right, so let's get into WrestleMania 8. This is from April 5th, 1992 at the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana. Attendance came in at 62,167, and it has two taglines to kind of indicate its double main events. So the first one is Friendship Torn Apart, exclamation point, uh, referring to, of course, Sid Vicious and Hulk Hogan. And the second tagline is the Macho Flair Affair, also exclamation point, and that one sort of sells itself. The runtime on this one is two hours and 41 minutes, so sub three hours. Hooray for that. Refreshing. Very refreshing, and it moves along pretty briskly, I got to say. What else was happening in 1992, Rich? Do you remember? You were like four. Uh, no, I was 12, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. I was just poking around at like what was the other things happening in pop culture at this time, and... This is a banner year for movies. Yeah. Wayne's World came out this year. Schwing. Basic Instinct. Schwing. Schwing. Uh, White Men Can't Jump. Yeah, that's uh, a good Lethal one. Weapon, Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, Patriot These Games. Lethal Weapon 3 being the second best uh, Lethal Weapon after Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah, that one's good. Batman Returns. Nice. A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. <laughs> Unforgiven. Oh, that's uh, my favorite. Yeah, uh Last of the Mohicans and a classic that my wife and I both enjoy Under Siege. Yes, Under Siege. That's a fucking great movie. Die Hard on a Battleship. My yes. wife's Look, I have a Under Siege 2 story if that's not um jumping ahead too much. Um, under siege to dark territory. My wife's cousin actually was the guy that drove the train for that one. That's there, insane. You never told you me that. I know. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm famous, but I'm, you know, I'm sort of famous. Assumption so. is the mother of all fuck ups. <laughs> anyway, John Gotti was also sentenced to life in prison that year. The mall of America opened again. We're not saying those things are related. Hurricane Andrew, um, removed Florida from the map of the United States and it was never heard from again. Uh, the Cartoon Network debuted, and we signed NAFTA, and um, somebody people haven't gotten over it yet. Yeah, it was a it was a banner year here. All right, so let's get to the show. We get a nice version of the national anthem from Reba McIntyre to kick it off. This is something we've talked a little bit about. We kind of missed this pageantry on some of the most recent WrestleManias that we've watched. I mean, not to take anything away from Limp Bizkit or Saliva, but um, they just don't have quite the same feel to start off a show. I actually had like an epiphany about this while trying to fall asleep the other night. (laughs) And so I think we need to think about how like football game, professional football, baseball, basketball, hockey, they all start with this national anthem, normally the Star Spangled Banner. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of something that people associate with sporting events. And I think as uh, the WWF slash WWE moved away from viewing their product as a legitimate sport towards and moving towards sports entertainment. They wanted to separate themselves out visually and audibly from legit sporting events for lack of better term. And so I think that might be why we lose some of the patriotic gallantry and the spectacle of the national anthem or America the beautiful being sang by a celebrity or something like that. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It's sort of, yeah, it's sort of a difference between, like you said, a sporting event and like an entertainment spectacle. Um, because by the time we get to, you know, WrestleMania 18 and 19, which we most recently talked about, those are not sporting events anymore. Those are entertainment extravaganzas or whatever you want to call them, complete with saliva and limp biscuit. America's band. America's favorite band. So we've got Gorilla Monsoon, praise Jeebus, and Bobby Heenan on the commentary here. Um, Bobby's taken over the Jesse Ventura heel commentator role. You know, I think I, we love Bobby Heenan. We're founding members of the Bobby Heenan fan club. He's always amazing. And he and Gorilla have really awesome chemistry together, I think. So how many times do you think we'll hear, will you stop or will you be serious during this it's WrestleMania. Uh, I lost count. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Will you stop that? Uh, <laughs> nonstop. Spoiler alert: Bobby won't stop, and he won't be serious. No, and that's okay. I mean, he's he he starts off pretty quickly, uh, re- saying that Reba McIntyre is Tito Santana's sister, Ariba McIntyre. <laughs> oh my God, I missed that somehow. Yeah, it's like through the entire first match he's just like his sister sure can sing and uh gorilla's like will you stop that that's will not you, his sister will you be serious are you kidding me Ariba mm-hmm. mcintyre she's a heck of a singer like uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> he doesn't stop i think that's that's probably better than uh than jesse ventura's constantly calling tito chico i guess huh i don't know maybe yeah yeah though according to uh ventura tito santana liked it Mm-hmm. Okay. and thought it was funny um sure we believe you yeah <laughs> jesse ventura is obviously a very reliable narrator so well our very uh first match is tito santana and his matador gimmick versus a uh, heartbreak kid Shawn michaels um this is actually tito's first uh return appearance the wwf he had taken some time off and it's his first appearance as the matador uh he was away in 1990 and 1991 and came back for this particular wrestlemania and with this new gimmick uh i don't know if you guys have noticed but i love tito santana um i may have mentioned that i have a cameo from him that i treasure um i get inspired by it like every other day or so just watch it feel tito talking to me feel him feeling my filling my soul with light and positivity whenever tim is watching it do not make eye contact with him he gets no. very aggressive yeah don't don't um but you know he he's uh i'll just rave about tito he's a big strong guy um he's fast he works really smooth he bumps and sells really well he lays his shit in and you always root for him because he just he seems like the last truly decent man in wrestling i think he is the consummate face he really is i can't imagine him as a heel ever like i can't imagine like tito suddenly getting on the mic and being like (laughs) listen here mean gene Shawn Michaels is an asshole. Like, whoa. Yeah. You know, you know who it sucks? Indianapolis. Right. Oh, no. Like, yeah, no bunch of football team stealing, cow eating, <laughs> jerk face idiots. Crossroads of America, railroad bullshit. Middle no, of nowhere shit town. <laughs> uh, no, I can't the, imagine Tito Santana no. doing that. The works of Kurt Vonnegut are overrated. Tito, no. Um, 
no, I, it would have been a complete waste of his, his abilities. And I, I also will say as much as I like him by himself, I actually like his matador gimmick. Uh, I like the tights and the boots and the jacket. Um, but he's really, honestly, he's a guy who never needed a gimmick. No. And, but we're getting to that period of time in WWF where everybody's got the side hustle. Everybody's got, got to have a gimmick. Everybody, they're pulling people out of their slice of life to come fight for them. Yeah. Um, pretty soon we'll have a garbage man and <laughs> we'll have, we'll have a prison guard slash police officer again at some point. Yeah. Um, well, he's here. He's here in this one, along with the Mountie, along oh, with uh, right. yeah. the repo man, along with who else is in our, um, along with whatever's wrong with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I don't know if that's a gimmick or that's just, oh, yeah. we, have an, we have an accountant. Oh yeah, of course. How could uh, I forget? Yeah. Yeah, we actually we wrote a little bit about that on the blog, the the side hustle gimmick, how everybody nobody could just go by their name. They had to be something or other. So um let's see, what else? This is also the first solo Shawn Michaels WrestleMania. Obviously, he was previously part of the Rockers uh, with Marty Jannetty, and like Florida after Hurricane Andrew, Marty Jannetty, never seen or heard from again. Sean comes down like the heel that he is and always should be because he's an a-hole because he crushed our dreams when he laid that super kick in the marty Janetti's kisser and put him through oh, the glass window so that bad dick <laughs> you also you can't be called the heartbreak kid and have a theme song that says i'm just a sexy boy and pretend like you're a good guy that's i ain't i ain't buying it speaking of his theme i'm pretty certain that's sensational sherry singing it really uh, not, i think so are you messing with me no, I, I if you listen to it and then like listen to her voice, I'm pretty sure it's her. <laughs> is this this is before he sang his own theme, right? Yeah. 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 I know that uh Jimmy Hart wrote that theme and he yes. has he has said it's his favorite one of the many different things that he's written over the years. I mean, it's so. a good one. He he did a good job with this theme, but you know, I just don't like the guy that it's attached to that much. No. We hate him. I'm also excited that Sherry is here. She always brings it. This isn't her peak WrestleMania. I forget. I think it's seven where she's in like four out of the eight matches and she's like just causing chaos nonstop. Uh, the entire time. She should have gotten like six paychecks for that WrestleMania, but she's still here. She's great. She's decked out as Sean's like MILF slash Cougar manager, I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's some sort of uncomfortable relationship between them. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Robinson situation possibly. Yeah, even. yeah, I was grossed out a little bit, but m- more about Sean because he's gross. But she like she struts around the ring with such a sneer that it's it's it hurts my feelings. Yeah, she can. She really she doesn't have to say a damn thing, and you're like, oh, I hate her, and I feel horrible. <laughs> yeah, Tito at one point gets kind of laid out on the floor, and she walks up and like walks around him, and like I was sure that she was going to do something to him, but then she never does, which actually ends up being more effective than if she had like smacked him with a chair or something. Oh yeah, it's totally effective, and like she's way into like just the posturing of yeah. mind games as opposed to actually interfering most of the time. There's a fan ringside giving her shit. <laughs> and they've got a microphone or something like you can hear this one fan screaming. You got what you deserve, Sean. And also screams, go home, slut or Sean. Wow. I can't really decide which or make out which one this fan said. But this fan is going ballistic and is just right on the microphone somewhere covering the ring that 
you hear every single word this person <laughs> says. I thought, what happened to Midwestern Nice? I, at any rate, I, I realize we haven't actually talked about this match. I like this match. <laughs> we haven't talked about this match <laughs> at all. Um, I, I liked, did you like this match? I I did, and part of the reason why I loved it was that this is this is getting late in Tito Santana's ring career, yeah. and this is early in Shawn Michaels' ring career, and Tito is going step for step with Shawn. There is not a misstep, a missed angle, a missed spot, or anything, and it's ridiculously impressive between these two. Yeah, he's a, an athlete for sure. He does some... He does, he has some of his standard moves here. He does that high cross body that always looked so good. Um, he does that like flying fist thing. Of, I think they called it like a pasta doble or something like that. I kind of I didn't quite catch it on the commentary. There's just some really stellar action here. I didn't particularly care for the finish. Tito tries to pick Sean up over the rope, and Sean just kind of like falls on top of him and gets the pin after Tito being on top like pretty much most of the time. I don't think the camera covered what happened exactly. I'm pretty certain that like. Sherry did something outside the ring, like held on to Tito's leg or something like that. And that caused Sean to fall on top of him. And then she also kept Tito from getting the leverage to kick out. Oh, that would be Um, just like her. Yeah. So, and like, you can tell by like where she is and then where the ref is that it's all something fishy is happening there. And just the camera didn't catch it very well. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I didn't catch it either, obviously. So, But that's a that's a great start to this WrestleMania. From there, we move on to a, a live Legion of Doom promo. They come out uh, in the middle of the crowd with Mean Gene. Um, Paul Ellering's back to manage them. I wrote down that Paul Ellering actually quotes Chris Christopherson's song, The Pilgrim, Chapter 33. Did you catch that? No. <laughs> it's a song that Chris wrote about Johnny Cash. Um, it's the one, he's a poet, and he's a picker, he's a prophet, he's a preacher. He's a something and a something and a problem when he's stoned. But the line that he quotes is from the rocking of the cradle to the rolling of the hearse was the going up worth the coming down, which is a great goddamn line. But, you know, Chris Christopherson's a great writer. So I just want to point out that, like, the crowd doesn't give a shit. No, because the crowd has no idea who the hell he is. Yeah, they don't know the NWA like history of the road warriors with Paul Ellering. I don't think anybody really cares that Paul Ellering is there, and it's odd that they use like this time on a WrestleMania to announce it. Yeah, and they make a big deal about it. You know, the the Road Warriors slash Legion of Doom go on and on about how they've got this guy back now, and their things are going to be different, and this this the missing piece, and they you know up onward and upward from here. So, yeah, but I agree, the crowd could not be bothered by this at all. From there, we get a backstage Jake the Snake promo, and you know how we feel about Jake the Snake promos. Um, he starts off by calling President Jack Tunney senile, which made me chuckle. Um, there's a sort of video recap of his feud with The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. There's some uh, shenanigans with trapping The Undertaker's hand in a coffin and beating him with a chair. We wrote about this on the blog quite a bit, but his sort of understated, kind of whispery promos are so good like they're really unparalleled i think and to end this one promo he says when the time comes i will hook the head i will drive him into the mat i will put the final nail in your coffin my god damn jake i I doubt he's like sitting in the back just writing that stuff down like pondering it he that just probably came to him at the mic that's impressive but we shouldn't undersell the undertaker's promos either the undertaker doesn't talk much yeah and so it was so earth shattering when finally Jake confronts him 
at one point and asks him, "What si- whose side are you on anyway, Undertaker?" And Undertaker just goes comes back at him, "Not yours." <laughs> that's that's pretty badass. Oh my god! It's like, and it's obvious that like this has replaced any kind of useful knowledge in my brain. That I remember that promo <laughs> specifically. I remember the moment. I can picture it in my head. I can replay yeah. it back at any time I want. Can I tell you the capital of Massachusetts or Maine or North Dakota? Moose Town, I think. Not right now. But I can tell you that The Undertaker told Jake, not yours. (laughs) That actually could be a line from uh, Unforgiven, you know, one of the best movies that came out in 1992. When uh, Clint says, deserves got nothing to do with it. Or we all got to come and kid. I think this is why the fans tune in to the show to hear these these amazing impressions that we do. Oh, yeah. They're great. They're great. They're as good as my Chris Jericho impersonation. <laughs> Please, yeah. And your Moondog spot. Don't forget your Moondog spot. Thank you, Moondog. Back to you. All right. So let's get to the match. We got Jake the Snake versus The Undertaker. This is Undertaker's second WrestleMania appearance. So nobody's talking or thinking about the streak just yet. He made his debut at the last WrestleMania against Jimmy Snuka, which was fine. This is, to me, this is a sort of classic early Undertaker match. He's got sort of the big man approach, but also he's got some really impressive uh, agility and some of his flying clotheslines and that kind of stuff. What did you like about this match? I love early Undertaker because. He's never in a hurry to get anywhere, and that kind of sells into his gimmick that he's he's a dead man, and that he can he doesn't need the rush. He's got all of eternity to do whatever he wants, and you can keep pounding on him. He's just going to keep getting up, and he's going to keep coming at you. And it's it's a great gimmick for him, and he does such a good job of just like pacing around the ring and like making all of Jake's offense look futile because he just doesn't stop coming and he just keeps getting up keeps pounding at him and jake lands a ddt on him he sits up lands another ddt on him sits up doesn't stop and then uh eventually the undertaker tombstones him on the outside of the ring just cold like the undertaker was very brutal back then compared to what other wrestlers were doing um, it's how he gets he gets in trouble with with the title when he tombstones Hogan on a on a chair and stuff like that. Like you didn't see people doing a lot of that stuff back then. And the Undertaker just like was completely cruel and mean uh, then, and it was very enjoyable uh, to watch <laughs> uh, Jake fall victim to that. Even though I do love it when Jake whips out his snake. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and he's been forbidden by President Jack Tunney, who again is senile, uh, from bringing his snake to the ring in this particular case. So he didn't have that help. It maybe would have helped him somehow. I doubt it. The you know the dead just really aren't afraid of snakes the way that other people are. Uh, that's that's one of their you know primary marks against them. Honestly, yeah. No, this was a great match. I think um, when he roll he kind of rolls Jake back into the ring. Jake looks like a freaking bag of potatoes. He just looks like everything's been beaten out of him after he hit him with that second DDT and the undertaker still sat up and like, Oh shit, Jake, Jake, just, just take a powder, man. Just, just head to the locker room, but it was too late. Yeah. So takers two and O two and O so far his best WrestleMania match. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, Jake's theme song is amazing too, by the way. I should have talked about that at the top. Uh, I think on the blog, you said it's the auditory equivalent of Viagra. His song, Arn Anderson's song at this time too, is pretty hot. You know, I got a theme for wrestler theme songs. So Jake's is is hot and is uh, pinnacle late 80s, early 90s uh, instrumental music. I'm surprised somebody hasn't dug that up and sampled it or something. Because, I mean, it would be a badass backing track for some things. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people people would just be taking their clothes off. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's why they haven't. Like, they're too afraid. Yeah. Well, we get to another, uh, actually, a really good promo here. There's a Bret Hart and Rowdy Piper are backstage with Mean Gene in their preparation for the match they have coming up. This is fantastic. Rowdy Piper is going on about how he's known Bret his whole life. He's loves Bret's family, uh, but then he keeps like throwing little jabs in there, talking about, oh, I've known Bret since he was yay high. It's like, oh, he wasn't potty trained till he was seven, but that's okay. Uh, make me laugh. Yeah, this is one of the best backstage wrestlemania segments ever i i i'd place my money on just the back and forth between brett and piper and how it really makes piper seem like the the veteran teacher almost and family friend and brett is the is the brat that's wanting to fight his way up and get out of the out of the shadow of all those that came before him kind of feel to it and you just you get chills watching this promo um, and you remember suddenly how good Roddy Piper is on the mic again. Yeah, it's really great. And Roddy looks fantastic here, too. I, he like tanned. His hair is like perfect. I know he was headed off to Hollywood. So this is sort of his uh, quote unquote retirement match. But of course, we know that's not really the case. But, um, you know, he was headed out to do uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown and they live and have a big uh, slugfest with uh, Keith David in the alley, of course, and they live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is sort of a farewell match. So there's lots of like goodbye Piper and thanks Piper, you know, those kinds of signs in the in the crowd. Um, he comes out to the maid of Fife EO. Brett gives the glasses away, of course, because he's a nice guy. Yeah, and then when Piper actually gets to the ring and it's like his shirt's off and stuff, it's like he is cut. He is looking ripped. Uh, to quote Ali Wong from her most recent special, you can see his uh, King's Hawaiian bread rolls uh, of abs. <laughs> and yeah. Mm, bread. I know. he's He was not eating much bread before this match. Yeah. Well, that's why I don't have those, to look that those way. things because I eat all the bread. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only reason. Uh, so these guys start out, uh, you know, this is a fairly clean uh, match. There's not really, I mean, I guess Piper's always the heel a little bit, but there's not like a real hard heel face dynamic here, would you say? There there eventually is, but right. no. Um, so like this match starts off very technical. They're trying to keep it clean. They're doing their best to like, they don't want to hurt each other. They just want to out strategize and beat the other person. And that kind of goes to hell when Brett to escape a hold instead of any kind of reversal just goes running at the ropes and uses momentum to throw Piper off of him and out of the ring. And that's when Piper snaps and that's when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Roddy did not like that at all. He, he really, he came back uh, ready to fight then. And, and right. It goes from a wrestling match to a fight uh, becomes a brawl and Brett starts getting uh color pretty quickly right after that. And he yeah. is 
bleeding all over the place. So, and the announcers keep asking if whether or not he's busted open, but like there's blood on the front of his uniform, on the back of his uniform, on the mat, there's blood on Piper's chest and arms. I'm like, if you can't see that somebody's bleeding up there, uh, I don't know what the hell you're looking at, but like, it, it doesn't look good at all. Probably some of the fans got blood on them at this point. Like <laughs> it's flying. Brett, Brett hit an artery and is pumping it or something. And it's just a mess. And these two tell such an amazing story in the ring in this match too. From the transition from technical wrestling to a brawl and then kind of bringing it back to technical wrestling, but then brawling again and like just going back and forth and, and just trying to hurt each other eventually, but then pulling back. And it's it's really quite a textbook match that every wrestler should watch at some point in their life. Yeah, that's great. So Piper nails Brett with a bulldog, which is one of Brett's, you know, for the favorite moves. I'm like, oh, shit, he's pulling out the he's pulling out Bret Hart's playbook here. Um, there's a sunset flip. Piper throws good punches. Um, that, I think that's something that's sort of maybe underrated. And then and I noted that every time he hits him with any kind of move, Brett just bleeds more and more. And like in those short punches, like there's just more gore flying. Yeah, they're working a little stiff and he's trying to open up that cut for real on yeah. Brett. And that's, and so that's making things look better and even more convincing. And then that dramatic moment where Piper grabs the ring bell and hops in the ring and is like contemplating hitting Brett with it. And you can see on his face and his like bodily motions that he is torn. He doesn't know what to do. Does he want to win and does he want to hurt Brett or does he want to, you know, just back off? and try right. to try to win this straight for a title match there's a lot more going on and it makes the title feel secondary and that's an amazing thing to watch yeah it's great and the family dynamic i think you know so obviously both guys are canadian um and i think you know piper was uh, telling the truth at the top which is that he has known the hart family for a long time they've Obviously, you've seen the kids grow up. He's, he uh, knew Stu Hart. Um, and so being tied in in that way gives it a lot more, you know, gravitas. And when he grabs that bell and, and Brett is kind of like flopping around on the ring, sort of like kind of pathetically, like like trying to reach out to uh, to Piper's legs. You know, Bobby's over there on the mic screaming, use it, use it, hit him, hit him. But, you know, the again, the facials from Piper is fantastic. So. I thought they also did a great job of really making them seem very similar. Like the storytelling also made them seem like they're just like two sides of the same person almost of like both of them had very short fuses and could be set off very easily. Once you make them angry, you're they're angry at you forever and they're going to hurt you and do everything they can to fight you. It's just, I can't say enough about this match of how great it is and how, it has a lot of stuff that a lot of things in the future are missing. Yeah, hundred percent. So for the finish, Piper slaps a sleeper hold on Brett. Brett kind of like kicks off of the turnbuckle so that Brett and Piper go over backwards, and then Brett kind of ends up on top, pinning uh, Piper's shoulders to get the win and makes him the new Intercontinental Champion. And then Piper takes the belt from the ref and sort of lays it across Brett's shoulder. He's laid out on the mat, you know, le- leaning against the ropes. He can't even pick himself up anymore. You know, Piper helps him up and straps the belt around his waist, and then they help each other from the ring and he's calling for help for brett's bleeding head and kind of like motion into his head i'm like man what a 
what an incredible, incredible finish. And this is the closest to being a face Piper ever gets. <laughs> yeah. And after this, he was immediately back to being a jackass. All right. You ready to move on? If we must. <laughs> we just make this the all Bret Hart and Roddy Piper hour, I guess. Um, so we move on to a remote promo with Lex Luger. He's on his way over, I guess, to WWF at this time. What the f*** are they doing with this? I don't I, know. Like... The World Bodybuilding Federation. Okay, great. I know that was some sort of thing that WWF was trying to get going. But really, it just turns into like Lex Luger being a dick. Yep. Uh, he, he fat shames Gorilla Monsoon multiple times while chugging milk. It's really <laughs> weird. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit into like WrestleMania whatsoever. No. Nope. And I just don't understand what they were doing. Also, he's like, I'm here in my home. And you can tell it's clearly a hotel. Like, the it's the hotel yeah. furniture and furnishings and drapes and stuff. Like, come on, Lex, we ain't buying it. Yeah, no, he looks like an overstuffed potato. He's sitting on the on the little weird sofa thing there. He's like, he's so large and um, muscular. And like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. It's weird. So next up is stupid gimmick promo time. Uh, in preparation for the eight-man tag match we're about to see, including some of those uh, side hustle gimmicks we're talking about. So this one is the Mountie, one of the Rougeos, uh, the Nasty Boys, the Repo Man. Those guys are with Jimmy Hart, and they're going to be up against the Big Boss Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Virgil, and Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, Sergeant Slaughter is no longer an Iraqi general. He is back to being <laughs> American. That was quick. Thank, thank God that wrapped up. I had pointed out when we blogged about this how quickly some of these folks fell from grace that at the prior wrestlemania the nasty boys were the tag team champions the mountie was intercontinental champ and sergeant slaughter was the world heavyweight champion and now they're in like an early mid-card eight-man tag for absolutely nothing there's no (laughs) stakes on the line whatsoever yeah it's uh this is nonsense i don't there's not really much to say about this i will say it's useful as sort of one-stop shopping to kind of see uh some of those big stars of the late 80s and early 90s and these kind of you know one-off kind of goofy gimmicks i I want people to never forget that repo man is barry darso formerly smash from demolition uh again one of the biggest tag teams the wwf ever had and now he's demoted to running around in a hamburger mask uh, with a fake towing hook, I guess, that he's going to... I don't know what he's going to do with it. He doesn't have a tow truck. Um, no idea. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and you have the Mountie, who's a cop, but he's bad. Right. And then you have the big boss man, who's a cop, but he's good. <laughs> well, the Mountie's Canadian, so... That son of a bitch. Yeah. How how dare he? He bunch says a bunch of French stuff, probably. Ha ha ha, oui oui, monsieur, I have some split pea soup for you <laughs> and a baguette. And mm. I go to the Louvre to watch to look at the art. That's uh, that I this this is the worst French accent I've ever heard. That's okay. I don't like you. <laughs> the uh, the guest announcer for this match is Ray Combs, formerly Family Feud host, and he says the word survey during his intro like fifty times, just so we can all be aware that he's on the Family Feud, which has a survey gimmick. So you guys, just just be aware. Uh, Ray Combs has never watched a day of wrestling in his life. No, absolutely uh, not. This. That's very clear. Absolutely not. So how would you rank your uh, Family Feud hosts, uh, Rich? Any ideas? Hmm. 
I would probably put Steve Harvey now up at number one. Um, probably followed by Richard Dawson. Okay. And then Roy Ray Combs. Then Louis Armstrong, Louis Anderson, Louis Armstrong. Jesus. <laughs> You guys remember uh, when Louis? Skies <laughs> are blue. There you guys remember when Louis Armstrong hosted Family Feud? Yeah. Uh, Richard Karn is Richard Karn is last, right? Yeah, I mean, John Al is terrible. Al, Richard Karn, please, Jesus yeah. Christ. John O'Hurley, <laughs> at least you know he was funny on Seinfeld, and that made me remember when he was, you know, Family yeah. Feud. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Steve Harvey just because he makes everybody feel like idiots on that show. And that's, that's true. That's what you need in a show like that anymore. I'm a big fan of the like the sort of supercuts of Steve Harvey, um, just looking perplexed by people. Yeah, all all of his gifts are amazing too. So, <laughs> all right, people people didn't come for the uh, sparkling commentary on game shows. They came for things like, oh, I don't know, the Ric Flair versus Macho Man Randy Savage match that's coming up next. Yeah, I mean, the less we say about that that tag match is probably the better. I mean, there's it doesn't make sense. There's nothing happening. Um, there's some really ugly spots, and yeah, that's that's all you need to know. And Virgil pins knobs from the Nasty Boys. That's that's all we got. Oh yeah, I didn't even write down the finish. Yeah. But also, Repo Man is smash. Hashtag never forget. Demolition was awesome. They were awesome. They scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Repo Man is shit. <laughs> Demolition would kill and eat Repo Man. Demolition is great. I don't understand how you can have three people in a tag team, but um, it's the Freebird rule, Rich. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but I, I still, Demolition was amazing. I prefer them pre-crush. But uh, same. If you gotta, have, if we're gonna, if I have to choose between Repo Man or Demolition with Crush, I'm taking Demolition with Crush. <laughs> I would even take Crush solo over Repo Man. As long as he's in the leather bondage. Yeah, right. Not the Surfer Crush. No, I don't like Surfer Crush. Yeah, Doink was right. We don't have to talk about Doink every episode, you know. Yeah, we do. Anyway, um, this is Ric Flair's WrestleMania debut, so that's kind of a big deal, right? It is. So Ric Flair, at this point, had just jumped over from the NWA, and there's some fascinating stuff that happened when he did that. So Ric Flair was the champion, was the NWA heavyweight champion at the time and when he signs with WWF. And so he leaves and for his bit of time in WWF, he's still carrying around the NWA belt and claiming to be the real heavyweight world heavyweight champion. And apparently the NWA sued him to try and get the belt back. But the belt belonged to Ric Flair because... <laughs> When you won the NWA championship, you had to pay a $25,000 deposit right. for the belt. And NWA did not refund that money back to him. So, so the belt, belt the belt yeah. belonged to Ric Flair. So NWA loses their lawsuit against Flair, and Flair keeps the NWA heavyweight belt. Wow. And I mean, at this time, obviously, the... You know, the dream match that everybody talked about for years and years was Flair versus Hogan, right? Like, who is finally the best of these two promotions, the two biggest ones? Um, and But, you know, we never get that Flair-Hogan until much, much later. Apparently, at this time, they were doing, like, house shows together. And as WWF was testing that out, and 
the matches just never went over well. Nobody really liked them. They didn't get a lot of pop on them. And so WWF decided it wasn't ready for prime time and never really put it together. I mean, that actually makes sense. Like their styles are just worlds apart. And it's actually sort of the difference in the WWF style versus the NWA style, I think, more almost more so than the individual guys. Um, and so I could see that not working particularly well at this point. Yeah, you have that. Plus, both men's match style is they sell. They sell to the other guy. And so if neither one of them has an offense. Because, I mean, Hogan, he just gets his shit beat for like <laughs> five minutes. And then he punches the guy three. He shakes his head, punches the guy three times. Ropes, le- big boot, leg drop. Yep. You know, Flair, he gets beat up. He gets thrown and flipped over the top rope. He gets thrown off the top rope from the turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. And then somehow reverses it into a figure four or gets a dirty win with a with a foreign object or feed on the ropes or something. And that's it. So Flair is nothing but the heel version of Hogan. And so you can't really put them together if both guys are known for just selling. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. It'd be like uh, that that joke about like the soccer the soccer players, right? Where they just like they both kind of like fall down and grab their ankles at the same time. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so this is Rick's WrestleMania de- debut. Randy Savage looks amazing. He goddamn sprints to the ring. Uh, he's got these like black and gold. There's tassels flying everywhere, and they just he just like jumps right into it. He he scares Flair out of the ring at first, but then after that, they just they go to war and this match is friggin' intense. I, I didn't take a ton of notes on sort of the individual points. Maybe you have a few more than I do, but like flair bleeds like a stuck pig throughout this thing. Both guys fly over the top rope, like completely horizontally at various points. Oh my um, God. Yeah. The, the back body <laughs> drops over the top rope are spectacular in this match. They're amazing. Um, macho man, I think goes into orbit uh, yeah. <laughs> on the one that flair sends him on. And then flair equally, you know, gets like five feet of air over the top rope on a back body drop out of the ring. And they both land hard on the floor. And it's just, it's amazing. And you have <laughs> yeah. all of Flair's signature uh, moves of the, that we just discussed of like being caught off the top rope, being flipped over the ropes when sent into the corner, taking his front bump, his delayed front bump is always, yep. always great. Macho man pounds the shit out of him. Flair is landing some solid tight chops, but this is really before everybody gets into the woo with the chops. Um, but you can hear some people doing it. Yeah. This, those that did follow him over from NWA, this match is a show stealer as usual with macho man. If macho man isn't fighting Hogan in the main event, macho man's having the best match of the night. Yeah. And this is sort of tagged as a co-main event. Um, and you know, it's far superior. Like it's not even, it's night and day to how much better it is than the actual quote unquote main event for this particular event. Hogan's ego is in the way. I think there's, there's no reason why this match isn't at the end, except for that uh, Vince is still convinced that Hogan is the moneymaker and no matter against who he's fighting and, I think he's just plain wrong. Um, the crowd is more into this match. I was yeah. more into this match. The setup for this match actually is what leads to the Hogan Sid match too. And like the the uh, so the belt is is vacated with Undertaker and Hogan having shenanigans. And so Jack Tunney announces that the winner of the Royal Rumble is going to become the next champion. And so at the Royal Rumble, 
you're down to the final three and it's Flair, Sid and Hogan and Sid and Hogan kind of eliminate each other and they're screaming at each other. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Flair is running down the aisle with the belt right. and is the new WWF champion. Uh, <laughs> and I felt bad for Flair that like he gets like no celebration out of it because everything is focused on Hogan and Sid crying in each other's arms. Lame. But yeah, so we're still we still get blessed with a Macho Man versus Flair match at WrestleMania, and this one is for the ages. Yeah, thank God it is here. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, you know, I think a lot of folks think of the Macho Man as kind of the the big move guy, you know, the big elbow, the the music, the the acrobatics, the kind of uh, you know the fireworks, right, and his crazy promos. But I think one of the things that stands out about this match is actually how good technically he is too. There's a ton of, you know, the figure four leg locks and then reversals and small packages and uh, all kinds of like really cool moves. And when we watched the wrestling classic a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, of course, him doing that crazy. Oh my god! Yes, that crazy finisher. Um, to and so I think you know, I think sometimes he kind of gets overlooked a little bit in terms of really talented and skilled technical guys. Yeah, Macho is very well skilled and definitely was put through the paces. He was well trained by his father. He's got lots of experience at this point in the ring too, and he matches perfectly with Flair, who's another veteran at this point. And you put those two together, two technically solid talents. Um, but also kind of opposites in their skills. Uh, and you're just going to have a spectacular match. And then you throw Mr. Perfect in. Yeah. Who's well, on the outside talk. of the ring. Yeah. We and he's causing chaos. And his blocking of that one, that moment where him and Macho have each other and the ref is between them. And then Kurt pulls on macho a bit and that causes the ref to go down and in that motion he also throws brass knuckles perfectly to flair like he hits flair in the numbers with him and flair just grabs him like he is mr perfect he does everything <laughs> perfectly yeah there's so many things could have gone wrong with that spot flair is on the other side of the ring he's 12 feet away yeah and he throws a bullet directly into flair's arm with with the brass knucks and it's perfectly out of sight line. So it's completely believable that macho man and the ref didn't see him do it. It's an amazing moment. Yeah, I agree. Remember they did all those promos where he was like hitting a golf shot perfectly or hitting uh, a basketball shot perfectly. So he's, he's Mr. Perfect. What are you going to do? I know. So macho man gets a sort of a dirty win here, grabs the tights, which we've talked about before about whether or not that's actually illegal. Of course, Heenan won't shut up about it uh, after the fact. And Savage grabbed a handful of tights. He had a handful of tights. I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, I mean, I'll... that's a Savage finish. We saw, we've seen yeah. Savage finish that way multiple times. I don't know if he knows how to pin anybody any other way. I think it's just part of his move. Yeah, if he doesn't land the big elbow for the knockout, it's it's going to the tights. Yeah. Uh, and everybody decamps to the locker room and we get a really awesome uh, locker room interview with Flair and Perfect and Heenan. Um, Sean Mooney is back there to interview him and uh, and Kurt Hennig just like barks at him. He's like, shut up, Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I, I've seen this like four times now. It makes me yeah. laugh every time. Like the celebration out of the ring as well for Macho Man winning is mm -hmm. terrifying. The yeah. fire there's the fireworks all explode at once or something like Elizabeth's dress nearly catches on fire and like Elizabeth looks completely terrified and like it was scarier than like Kenny Omega's exploding ring of death <laughs> from with John Moxley like 
I was legitimately concerned for their safety when that pyro went off. Yeah. No, they didn't plan it very well, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, Flair looks uh, out of his mind in that promo. He's got blood all through his hair. His eyes are, you know, as big as saucers. He's just yelling and yelling and yelling. And then Macho cuts a promo after that. And it's a post-match promo. He's all sweaty. He's tired. He's limping. And he doesn't blink once during the promo. <laughs> like his eyes are like saucers and he's just like screaming and talking and just like, I don't care what Ric Flair has. I don't care what Ric Flair is going to do. I'm concerned for his health and safety. It's so scary. All right. So are we done with uh, these guys? So easily uh, another just five-star match in the, in the midst of WrestleMania eight here. Yes. Um, this this one was spectacular. Would watch again. Next up, we're on to Tatanka versus the model Rick Martel. Um, and as much as I love Tito Santana, I hate Rick Martel equally. That bastard. That bastard, because he betrayed Tito Santana when they were the Can-Am Express. I will never forgive him. It's as bad as Shawn Michaels kicking Marty Jannetty and, you know. I, I mean, it's the breakup that we never saw coming. It's an it, it's um it's unfathomable that these two could not get along anymore. I know. So anyway, it's very it's very disappointing. So I hope he loses every match ever until the end of time. Tatanka, I know you were a fan of Tatanka back in the day. I was a fan of Tatanka, and I had lots of issues with with what they did. I mean, one, uh, this match was filled with signature WWF racism oh, yeah. uh, in the color commentary with the. Uh, Bobby Heenan constantly going, hey, how are you? Hey, how are <laughs> Jesus you? Jesus Christ. Um, but then Gorilla Monsoon counters back to him and, like, and says, no, no, no. Tatanka is very intelligent and very well read. Oh, no. Um, so. That's not any better, Gorilla. No. And so that was uh, that was some uncomfortableness. Um, but I also, Yikes. in general, just had issues that like Tatanka had this massive winning streak he like he won over a mat 100 matches in a row on television and never gets a belt put on him he never gets an intercontinental belt he never gets the world championship belt doesn't get the women's belt or even for <laughs> you know they a normal normal belt to keep his pants up he doesn't get one like yeah nothing. how how does someone win over 100 matches in a row on television and not get anything and he was good too, you know. It wasn't like he was just popular, but he was shit. Like he was, he was really solid. And he, there's some good work here in this particular match. Yeah, I don't. That's a sort of perplexing chapter. I will say. So first off, Tatanka is of North Carolina Lumbee descent. So he, you know, he's a he's a genuine Native American. He's this isn't a gimmick like uh, Chief J Strongbow or some of the others that we've seen over the years, where they're like actually just like Polish German guys from wherever. I think Strongbow was Italian. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Vince Senior is just like, I need an Indian. And I think that's actually pretty much how the story went. Get in there. He's been promoting this uh event where you can meet the one man gang and Akeem the African Dream. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> is he gonna like put on the outfit and like turn around and like it's me, Akeem, and then take it off and like put the other outfit on? I don't know. I was thinking maybe during the even hours he would be one man gang, yeah. and during the odd hours he'd be Akeem the African Dream, or like and takes like a ten minute break in between to change outfits. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Um, either way, I don't know how he's pulling it, but I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd be even more impressed if um, George Gray managed to get two paychecks, you know, for showing up as both characters. <laughs> and he should get double pay. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah, man. 
Well, yeah. I mean, what if, you know, what if uh, there's like 10 people who really want to go and see Akeem and there's like 10 people who really want to go see the one man gang, you know, that's, that's 20 tickets that you sold for different people. Damn right. Smart. That's smart. Yeah. I'm a wrestling genius. Anyway, there's some fast action here. Both these guys are really good in the ring. Tatanka gets the win. I don't care. Anything else? Yeah, I was kind of distracted by all the racism with it. Yeah. Though, like, I don't know if they thought, like, having the legitimate, like, Native American tribes doing some dancing would make it better. I don't even think they were from Tatanka's actual tribe. And so it's just <laughs> kind of like, they're Indian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the thing about that is, so they start out in the ring. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool, you know, showing they're they're doing their traditional dance and stuff, and then it like sort of just goes immediately from that. You see that for maybe ten seconds, and then it goes to Rick Martel in the back cutting a pretty racist promo. So promo was not good either. So the crowd got to see the you know the celebration, the uh, the culture and stuff, but the rest of us got to hear Rick Martel talk about whatever. All right, we've got a uh, tag match coming up next. We've got Money, Inc., that is Ted DiBiase and the IRS with Jimmy Hart facing off against the Natural Disasters, which is Earthquake and Typhoon. So, listeners, if you haven't noticed, this pay-per-view really hits a peak with Flair and Savage and Piper and Bret Hart, and then there's all the air is just let out of this event with Tatanka and Rick Martel, and then the Natural Disasters versus Money, Inc., and it's just this is this it becomes a a grind to try and finish this this show to be honest with everybody at this point for me but yeah. i'll do my best to talk about this match <laughs> yeah i i agree it's really kind of like uh and then you look at the time left and you're like uh um but it's it's weird. We talked a little bit before about how it's weird to see the the natural disasters as faces, especially Earthquake was such an amazing heel. His initial monster run in the WWF where yeah. he just squashed people figuratively and literally for what was like a year. Like he just went around and stomped on everyone in his way. And so this I, I don't know. It's I think to me it's a stretch to try to make him into a good guy. Yeah, and there's some interesting things that like it doesn't make sense to me is that Combined, Typhoon and Earthquake outweigh Money, Inc. by like two to 300 pounds, probably. They're some really big guys, but they're not fighting like they're monster big guys. They're selling like crazy to things that Money, Inc. and Ted DiBiase are doing. And they're not, it's not like they're doing like drastic moves to try and hurt them. It's just, they're just, they're just moves. And It doesn't make sense for Typhoon and Earthquake. You know, both of them are outweigh uh, Microtunda and DiBiase by 100 pounds each, at least. They're both a head taller than, than their opponents. Yeah, they're huge. And yet, DiBiase and IRS can hurt him. I <laughs> like hurt them significantly throughout the match to where there's there's false finishes and and stuff. Like, this match just didn't make sense to me. It didn't look right. And I'm kind of glad that like Money Inc. wins by a deliberate countout, where they just like decide to leave because I would just leave. Yeah, like, this this doesn't make sense. I'm going home. I'm going to get hurt out here. I, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think so. Ted DiBiase and Mike Rotunda are are amazing talents. You know, so again, sort of technical guys, lots of ring experience, uh, really able to put together compelling matches. Mike Rotunda is um, until this point is actually this is the Longest stretch between WrestleManias, I think, for a performer. We saw him in the very first WrestleMania in the U.S. Express where he was with uh, Barry Windham 
and then he's he's off for a long time and we see him back here with, as IRS with uh with Ted DiBiase but um they could 100% have good or better matches with guys who were sort of maybe closer to them in size and ability and you know not not to take anything away at all from earthquake and typhoon but this is not leaning into their strengths at all so and also i think with the finish that they had in mind here which is where the money ink kind of takes a powder and gets the count out it would have made a lot more sense if they had been getting their asses beat the rest of the time right right that's the thing is that they weren't they were they were in control for a good portion of this match and then they lost control and that's when they decided to leave but like it wasn't like they were really really out of control because i mean there was like a bullshit moment to where ted dibiase and uh typhoon landed double clothesline on each other and they both go down (laughs) it made no sense that is that is not how that's gonna go no um ted dibiase throwing his weight at a man that weighs 150 pounds more than him with his arm like they're and they're both going to go no yeah. ted is ted your arm is going to fall off and dislocate or you're going to go down and typhoons is going to stand there looking at you yeah and then you're going to die right and then like maybe typhoon then like sits down on his butt because he's just tired but <laughs> it's not that it didn't make sense there's these things that just i i didn't understand what was going on in this match and um yeah, go ahead and just walk away from it, Money Inc. Ted DiBiase, I wouldn't talk about this match ever. Yeah, we recommend the viewers actually walk away from this one as well. And I will say the crowd is not into this one. And I think they're starting to feel the slog a little bit too. So after that, we get a Brutus Beefcake promo. He's not really, um, he's not wrestling yet. He's back from his parasailing accident. So he's, um, he his face is is different than uh you may have remembered from the earlier wrestlemanias yeah he quote tragic boating accident yeah um he got smacked in the face by somebody's legs uh who was parasailing um and i don't know it depends on your stomach for uh you know medical stuff but i i don't recommend reading about that accident it sounds like really bad like his entire face was obliterated it was put back together with all kinds of screws and plates and um and so here he is. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like it was worse than Fabio taking a goose to the face on that roller coaster. <laughs> Almost assuredly, yeah. Yeah. All right, next to last match, thank God, is Owen Hart versus Skinner. It's probably going to take me as long to say the title as it took to actually do the match. I don't understand why this match is a thing. I, I don't understand. <laughs> well, so... I think, you know, a couple of these early WrestleManias, there's this sort of habit of scheduling this kind of weird throwaway match, like right before the main event. I don't know if they, you know, need time to what, I don't know, clean the bathrooms or what. It's still part of like the whole, like getting talent on camera so they get paid. Like it's so like they still do it now to where they, they get as much talent on camera during WrestleMania as possible so that everybody gets a payday. So that's why like you just get like shots of like 30 wrestlers walking around backstage and stuff in between matches. And I think this is this is just the old style version of that. And it goes back to wrestling's origins out of vaudeville and stuff to where they would cram as many acts onto into a show as possible during vaudeville. And if you got on stage uh you got you got paid and that's that's how it worked and so by the way that's where the term break a leg comes from 
they would wish you luck by hoping that your leg would get seen on stage. If your leg broke the curtain line, you got paid. So break a leg. Is that true? That is true. I'm not lying to you about this one. I didn't know Um, that. Yeah. I'm kind of gullible. So you you could, you could tell me whatever. So, um, I love Owen Hart. You love Owen Hart. I hate his rodeo clown pants. This whole thing is a waste of time. Well, this is when he was tag partners with Coco Beware, right? Oh, yeah. I would let's let's just not remember. I think if it's if this match uh, does anything, it it maybe gave some inspiration to MC Hammer's costume designer. Owen deserves a lot of credit for for this match just because he lets Skinner spit tobacco juice in his face at the start of this match. It's disgusting. And it's like a large amount. It's like <laughs> it's like great Muda green mist amount Yuck. of of uh of shit that he lets Skinner spit in his face. And so I wish Skinner would have actually gotten his ass beat and not just rolled up and, and one, two, three, and out the door they went. Um, but Skinner can suck a dick for spitting uh, tobacco juice in my man <laughs> Owen Hart's face. All right. Good to know. All right. Are we ready to talk about the main event? I guess. It's not a main event. It's not a main event. On the So on the blog, we wrote at length about how Hogan is actually a heel for much of his 80s heyday. Uh, the way he sort of acts towards his supposed friends is is awfully shameful and egotistical. Uh, he plays the victim when they get tired of his shit and he gaslights people. Um, in Sid Vicious's in Sid Justice's case, he went from Sid Justice to Psycho Sid as a direct result of Hulk gaslighting the shit out of him. Um, so obviously Hogan is going to win this quote-unquote main event match uh, against Sid Justice, but I think in the interest of justice, Sid Justice, Hogan should get the snot beaten out of him. Actually, he kind of does. This is like the first match that we see Hogan really getting physically dominated for the most part. Um, Sid choke slams him, which is impressive. He does like a sidewalk slam on Hogan. This picks him up like a like a bag of ice from 7-Eleven and puts him down <laughs> like like no problem. Like Hogan's a big guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's he's not John Tenta earthquake big, but Hogan is no lightweight and Hogan is tall and long and heavy in all the right spots. Tall and heavy in all the right spots. <laughs> um, we should but, edit that. <laughs> but uh, Sid just, just manhandles him around. Yeah, he really uh, does. I don't know. These guys, it's, it's kind of a... It's sort of a long, boring match, honestly, that goes into a uh, starts with a long, boring section where Sid's kind of continually running away. And then we go into a long, boring tust of strength. The crowd is chanting and Hogan starts to hawk up. But then we go to a long, boring, giant neck nerve pinch a la Andre the Giant and, you know, drives him down to the canvas and keeps him there for like what seems like an hour and a half. Yeah, Um, it's convincing when Andre does it. It's not convincing when Sid does it. (laughs) No, I mean, and he's huge, right? He's probably, he's a strong guy, I'm sure, except in his lower legs. But he's not Um, Andre. But he's not Andre. (laughs) The uh, Hogan selling, especially near the end of this, where he like, he goes down and he's twitching like he has spinal damage. And it's very, it's, I put down that it's a mix of hilariousness, freakishness, and it's kind of insulting. Like, does that, is that what he thinks like people that have suffered spinal injuries do? Yeah, they twitch all over the ground. So, uh, as the child of an epileptic, 
who has witnessed many seizures through my years, I I have mixed feelings about that that bit. So, and he does he does it frequently, and he does. I, I just like I, I I don't know. Like, do you think people act like fish when they're hurt? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Hulk Hogan has met many like actual people. Um. So I don't. Yeah. I mean, like we go through all of that. Um, and then, you know, obviously eventually he gets the Hulk up and he does his, you know, his usual sequence of moves, but Sid kicks out, he kicks out of the big leg drop. What the hell? How amazing would this WrestleMania have been if Hogan lost this match? Man, that would have been the best possible outcome. The crowd would go silent. They wouldn't know what to do. They literally would not know what to do because, I mean, it's telegraphed through the entire storyline. Oh, well, this is just another friend of Hogan that. Hogan made angry, but it's being sold that uh, vent that uh, Sid uh, turned his back on Hogan and is no good now. And so Hogan's going to eventually win the payoff match, blah, 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 blah. But what if he didn't win this one? Like, imagine this is possibly Hogan's last WWF match, he says, and he loses this and the crowd goes silent and all those kids crying. <laughs> like it's the end of Hulk. This would end Hulkamania. This would yeah. have been it. Gets physically dominated by a guy who's much larger than him. And then it just puts him away. You would have had people driving into bridge abutments on their way home from the, from the show. You would just have like, I don't think the people would have left. They would have just sat there. Just camped out. Going like, what do you mean it's over? That's the end. That's, that's isn't that's the end of wrestlemania that's <laughs> is he gonna come it? back isn't is he gonna yeah. isn't what no hogan hogan can't lose what happened know. and then like just crying and like people writing notes to their loved ones <laughs> dear mother it has finally happened hawkamania has ended we are in tears people just hugging and yeah. just so sad maybe Maybe I won't watch Saturday Night Main Event this week. <laughs> they could have crushed WWF if like Sid won this match. <laughs> Maybe I won't go to college. What's the point? I know. Hogan lost. I can't. I, I ate all my vitamins and I said my <laughs> prayers. I don't know what to do. I even did the training. But instead, that that's all the, all the stuff that could have been. And that would have been amazing. Uh, I think we would be living in a different timeline now if that had happened. But instead, what we get is Harvey Whippleman interf- interfering and the bell rings to disqualify Sid. Uh, and then for some reason, Papa Shango, you know, a.k.a. the Godfather, a.k.a. the Good Father, a.k.a. Charles Wright, comes in and attacks Hogan. And then... Get hype. Here comes the ultimate warrior making a triumphant return. Save Hogan. And everybody collectively shits their pants. The crowd flips the fuck out. So right before the match, there was like, uh, there were signs or like, come back warrior. We miss you warrior. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and here he is. Because Ultimate Warrior was significantly more entertaining in that brief little period of time that he was there of like that psychotic fever dream promos that he would cut and like the shaking and the rage. And he beat Hulk Hogan without killing Hulkamania and the fans needed him and he came to their aid. 
here he is. Yeah, so he comes in and saves Hogan, and of course they have a little show of mutual respect and posing and steroid appreciation or whatever they're doing at the end. And I hate this match, and I hate the ending. The Ultimate Warrior coming out is a genuine surprise. Um, I think one of us chose it for our oh shit moment when we did the blog post on this, because it's, you know, everything looks, looks pretty bad for Hogan, and then here he comes. And that, that was that's kind of exciting, but the rest of it is hot garbage. It's really just like a down point. I don't, I feel like this entire match, like, I don't understand Papa Shango coming out. I mean, honestly, I hadn't, I haven't watched every single bit of wrestling at that point again to, to understand why Papa Shango's showing up. I don't understand why they thought Sid was going to be a good opponent for Hogan. I don't understand why they chose to have a disqualification finish to end the double main event WrestleMania. Like if that had happened and it had been the first main event match, if they had swapped the main event matches and this ending happened then totally fine. And this is a much better show. Yeah, for sure. Put this in the middle of the show. Like you said, um, it'd be, I, it would have bumped my rating up probably like half a star at least. Yeah. Uh, Hogan just can't handle not being in the last match of the night. Yeah. That's and, but to not, to not give this a finish, I mean, it feels like they may have wanted Sid to win this match. And they couldn't get Hogan to agree to it? Right. I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, maybe. It's a good question. Well, and, and we've seen, you know, kind of Hulkamania sort of overtaking actual good booking at the last WrestleMania, number seven, which also has a shitty main event against Sergeant Slaughter. And, you know, if if neither of those events had happened for Hogan, I, I think we'd all still be okay. We'd still remember him fondly. We didn't need Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter. We didn't need Hogan versus Sid. Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior is actually like a great ending to Hulk Hogan's story. Yeah. It's sort of uh, a passing of the torch too. Right. And it's a shame that Warrior didn't pay out. And then they had the kind of the same idea that they would do this with Lex Luger. And that's the whole reason why they did like the Lex Luger body slamming Yokozuna and the, mm-hmm. Enterprise, or the Intrepid's deck and stuff like that on that fourth of july special and then like how he went from the narcissist to the all-american lex luger and again luger didn't didn't have the charisma that hogan has and it's i don't even know what really makes hogan hulk hogan i don't understand i it's it's some sort of intangible that no other wrestlers had since like there's no denying that hogan has this like immediate appeal and draw and i don't know if it's just like how into him the kids were and so like that youthful energy coming from the crowd just is addictive and no other wrestler had that except the ultimate warrior yeah maybe i I don't know I, i don't know what it is but for some reason nobody else works they right. they try the same formula with ultimate warrior they try it with lex luger and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work. So, are we ready to pick our uh, superlatives for this WrestleMania? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, best match. Um, I uh, well, are you going Brett versus Piper, or are you going Savage versus Flair? Uh, I think I'm going to stick to what I said in the blog and say Flair versus Macho Man. That that was yeah. that match, boy. The drama, the spectacle, they're all over the place. They fought each other. There's technical stuff. It was back and forth. You legitimately didn't know who was going to win that match because you could see it going either way. You could see them carrying on with Flair with the belt. You could see them carrying on with Macho Man with the belt. Now, the only thing that made it 
a little obvious that Macho Man was going to win was that the stipulation was that if Flair won, they were going to release naked pictures of Elizabeth. <laughs> we knew that wasn't going to happen. Damn it. You know, it's still, and it's a sleeper match. Like, you don't hear a lot of people talk about this match in, in, the, in the lore of WrestleMania. You don't hear people talking about, man, Flair versus Macho Man. That was such a great match. It's one of the best title matches in WrestleMania history. You don't hear that sentence said much. Yeah, that's and it true. Deserves, it deserves that kind of attention. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I don't know. I have a hard time picking in this one. I think Brett versus Piper also sort of telegraphs its finish in that same kind of way because we know it's Piper's sort of farewell match, and he's off to Hollywood or whatever. So it you know it makes sense for him to lose this match. So you kind of know where it's going before you start, and also Brett is on his his way up, and it wouldn't it just wouldn't make any sense to have him beat by an old timer who then is going to take off. So that that part kind of um, maybe puts a crimp in the drama a little bit, but I think I'm going with Brett versus Piper one because, you know, Bret Hart is my all time favorite and I will watch literally anything he does ever. And two, because I think the storytelling there is just so excellent and so heartfelt, honestly, that's a weird term to use maybe with wrestling, but um, I think it really applies. And then three for just sheer blood loss. Oh yeah. The matches. Oh my God! There's, yeah, uh, Brett does bleed more than Flair in this match. Barely. He does, he does. Okay, so maybe we didn't talk about this, but who who bleeds more, Brett in that match or Austin in Brett and Austin's famous match? Oh, I think Brett bleeds more in this one, but we don't have the amazing visual of a bald, stone cold Steve Austin screaming in pain in a crimson mask while in a sharpshooter. Yeah. I don't know. It's a tough call. So what about your worst match? Um, Boy, it's tough between the eight-man tag and Hogan versus Sid for me, actually. Hogan versus Sid did present some things that you're not normally used to seeing, and that's Hogan being physically manhandled. But then Sid like looks really crappy trying to powerbomb Hogan. And if if Sid had like legitimately, like really convincingly landed that spot, that would have been amazing and that would have taken this match out of out of this contendership but i think i'm gonna go with the eight-man tag and that's just because there was absolutely nothing there entertaining me there was no i had no interest in it it had no meaning to the show and it was a vaudeville moment of trying to just get faces on camera to get paid yeah i mean that's a you know there's a couple strong contenders here um it would be tempting to go with that really waste of an owen hart versus Skinner match. Um, but of course it's Owen Hart, so I can't give it I can't give that the worst match. I think I have to go with the main event for you know for the reasons that we talked about. I think it's a pretty clear example of Hulk Hogan's ego kind of ruining stuff for the rest of us, you know, why we can't have nice things. Um, the ending makes zero sense. It doesn't fit with anything that's going on and the match itself is just there's just not a whole lot there to recommend it so yeah how about your oh shit moment at this <laughs> so um i would say rick flair flying over the top rope to almost certain death <laughs> on one of those back body drops oh my but god yeah they're so spectacular so i did in our blog post say that the ultimate warrior showing up out of nowhere was was a no shit moment and it's a great moment it's a great wrestlemania moment of the ultimate warrior suddenly appearing back in the programming but you know i think my oh shit moment is going to 
be changed now that I've rewatched the show again. I've actually watched it twice uh, since we watched this blo- since we wrote this blog post. So I've writ- I've watched it three times in the past year now, um, and twice in the past week. Wow, and that's how dedicated we are here at all the WrestleManias. Yeah, um, partially because I went to get a snack at one point and missed something, and so, <laughs> um, but I think I'm gonna go with the moment of Piper standing over Brett with the ring bell and seriously contemplating what to do. And, and he shows such emotion and it's a shame. He doesn't show that emotion when he's actually doing like movies and stuff because he deserved an Oscar for this moment, but no other (laughs) acting moment, but he's standing over Brett and he's just like looking so pained and he's not sure what to do. And the crowd is screaming at him to give Brett mercy, but he's like, I, I want to win. And he doesn't know. And you can see him going back and forth and like over and over and over again. And then he decides not to do it. And that moment is one of the most compelling WrestleMania moments. And at least in the first 10 WrestleManias, it's like one of the best storytelling moments and probably in the top five or six of like all time WrestleMania uh, storytelling moments in the ring that we see is, is Piper debating whether he should brain Bret Hart with the ring bell and finish him or not. Yeah. It's weirdly beautiful. If, if that's not overstating it a little bit, Um, it's emotional for sure. It's a great moment. So, all right. Overall review and rating. What do you think? Um, I gave this one a 3.5 with the blog. Having watched it again now twice in the past week, I'm going to have to I'm probably going to have to lower it down to a 3, I think. That main event was worse than what I thought it was, than what I remembered. The Hogan versus Sid was worse than what I remembered. I understand why Hogan decided that's not his last match because it's shit. It's a shit match. Um and he cannot let that be his legacy. The Owen versus Skinner waste of time. The waste of a tag championship match if it wasn't for brett and piper and macho man versus flair this nothing on this card is spectacular nothing is good and those are the ones that keep it at a three yeah i would agree with a three i think that's what i gave it when we reviewed it originally as well um so i think right obviously the the two um those two matches are the main event (laughs) main event or the big draw here I think the ones, the other ones that kind of helped keep it afloat for me are Shawn Michaels and Tito Santana uh, and the Undertaker versus Jake the Snake. Those are all solid appearances by those four guys who um, who we like. Well, three out of four of those guys. The rest of it is is not great. So proceed with caution, I'd say. Um, maybe mild to moderate use of the fast forward button. Catch the promos, catch those matches that we mentioned, skip the racism, skip the eight-man tag, do the every 30 seconds version of the main event, and I think you'll be good to go. During the Hogan match, you can feel free just to get up and go pee or (laughs) get another Coke or something. So as we do every episode, we like to end by paying tribute to the men and women who we saw in that episode that are no longer with us. Howard Finkel, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Owen Hart, John Earthquake Tenta, Miss Elizabeth, Macho Man Randy Savage, Big Boss Man, Sensational Sherry Martell, Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig, Paul Bearer, 
Animal and Hawk from the Legion of Doom, The Ultimate Warrior, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon, Mean Gene Okerlin, Family Feud host Ray Combs, and Lord Alfred Hayes. Alrighty, so that wraps up our retrospective episode on WrestleMania 8. Again, thanks so much to Nick for the question and for the suggestion that we rewatch this one. We're really glad we did. So you can find us on Twitter at WrestleManiaPod. You can find us on the internet at www.allthewrestlemanias.com. That'll take you to our primary podcast page on Podbean. You can also find us at allthewrestlemanias.wordpress.com, which is our original blog, which has some additional content that you won't find on the podcast. So send us your comments at Twitter or shoot us an email at at WrestleManiaBlog at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for being with us.